If you have about your Bibles tonight, uh, Wednesday night we looked at uh, Hebrews. And we're just going to continue uh, as we make our journey through the book of Hebrews. And uh, as we uh, looked at uh, Wednesday night, we saw that uh, he's, just, uh, uh, he's just getting it out there. He, he's saying uh, that first, the first word is his, God spoke. I'm, I'm glad God is still speaking. Amen. Amen. God is still speaking. And that's not the problem. And it's not the problem with those that he was writing the letter to. The problem is not God speaking, it's us listening. And so here, we, as we continue on and we'll close out this chapter, we see that as you go to chapter 2, you're seeing that there starts to be a little drifting away. They've been under the word. They've heard the word. Uh, they've been uh, the word's been preached to them. Uh, but then we're now seeing that they're starting to drift away. I want you to know we need to be very careful because that can happen to us as well. We can sit under the word and we can hear the word, but if we're not careful, we start drifting away as well. And here he starts to remind them and he tells them something very interesting here. Uh, He tells them that Jesus is just better. (laughs) Jesus is just better. Uh, You're not getting with this. Jesus is just better. And here's what we need to do. We need to not be ashamed and we don't need to, uh, to, uh, to be uh, embarrassed by the fact that Jesus is the only way. It doesn't matter if it's politically correct or not. Jesus is just better. And here we're going to see in these verses, starting with verse number 4, going uh, through the remainder of the chapter, that we're going to see that He's just better. He's better than the angels. Now, you would ask, why is he making reference to the angels? Well, he's making reference to the angels because back in this day and time, there were some that were worshiping angels. There were some that were putting more, uh, more attention upon angels. Angels were very important. Now, we understand the Bible uh, tells us uh, at 108 times in the Old Testament, uh, angels are referred to. In the New Testament, 165 times they're referred to. We also understand that the climate, if you will, the climate uh, within what uh, the writing of the letter here is that there were Gnostics. And Gnostics believed uh, that uh, God could not enter the world or come into the world because the world was made of matter. And Gnostics' view is that all matter was evil. And so there was a lot of credit, a lot of credence, if you will, pertaining to angels. There were also some that believed that God had a counsel and that He would consult His counsel when He was making choices. In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26, uh, we all know, and when you read that verse, it talks about uh, and God made uh, us in His image. 
That word us is plural. We understand that's talking about the Godhead. That's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the Gnostics and the belief that was going around was that that us was in reference to the angels. See, here's what they were thinking. They were thinking that God, because he could not enter into the world because the world was evil and he could come not in contact with evil, that he would send his angels, but he would have a council and he would go around and says, okay, what do you think we ought to do here? Well, of course, we understand that's heresy. See, that takes the holiness from God. And as I made mention, one of the, my favorite songs is the song uh, about the, uh, how beautiful and how wonderful the name of Jesus is. And the line that I love the most, where it really gets me stirred up, when it starts to talk about uh, the Lord, he says, he has no rivals, he has no equals. I need to remind you, God is holy. He doesn't need help from anybody. And so here is the scene. This is the context we, uh, we, we're finding ourselves. So we're starting in verse number 4. He says, And being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He's talking about the angels. First, the thing that we see here in our text tonight is that he is exalted as son. Now notice, he said he's more excellent, he's better, he has a more excellent name. Well, we also see in verse number 5, he says, For unto which of the angels? And now he's starting to ask a rhetorical question. Here's the, he says, here, you need to know. Now, why is this important? Why, why is he uh, talking about angels? Because they understood the importance of angels uh, to them. And also, the Bible helps us to understand that the angels were responsible for bringing the law. We see that uh, in Scripture. Uh, we see where it talks about in, in Psalm 68, uh, verse number 17, it says, and there were thousands of angels just like there were at Mount Sinai. Where did Moses get the law? He got it there on that mountain. And so we see that the, what he's trying to show them is Jesus is better. And for it, him to show that Jesus is better, he has to show that they're better than the angels because the angels angels and their view and their thinking here were very, very important because they're the ones that were responsible with bringing the law. Then he goes on and says, he has a more excellent name than them. Then he goes on in verse number four. He says, for unto which of the angels say he at any time, thou art my son. <laughs> oh, that's good. He says, he says, which of the angels did he go and talk to and say, you're my son? The answer is none. Then he goes on. He says, of this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so we see that in verses 4 and 5, he's exalted as Son. Now we understand that when you read the Bible, the Bible tells us uh, in talking about the angels, uh, they will refer to as sons of God. 
When it's referred to us as believers, we're sons and daughters of God. But there's only one, and may I add, there's only one who's been called son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. No one has the right to that title. No one can boast about having that title. Only one can hold that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. But notice, because He's our Son, because He's God's Son, we also need to be reminded of uh, that uh, He gave them uh, in uh, Hebrews 2.9. Now, what, what's this? Here we say that He's made better, right? When you go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9, he says that he has been made a little low, lower, right? He's been made a little lower. But then you, when you go in and start to investigate that, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's made, been made a little lower? Well, if you keep on reading the verse, you will see because he tasted death for every one of us. Only Jesus Christ lays claim to that. When you study the, all the other mystic religions and uh, the false religions and the, and the heresy that's being preached uh, and still being preached today, we need to understand that only Jesus can hold the credentials and He's the only one that's qualified to be called Son because He's the only one that tasted death for every one of us. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says that when he went to Calvary, he uh, had all the sins of the world upon him. Understand, he was sinless. He was the innocent party in all of this. But he willingly said, I will go. And so the Lord, uh, God the Father, placed in all the sins, your sins, my sins, all the sins in the past, all the sins in the present, all the sins in the future, all the sins of the world were laid upon him. That's the reason why when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? Is because God the Father, the Holy Father, by the way, he's the only one that lays claim to that. I don't care what the Catholics will call the Pope. I'm telling you, he's not my Holy Father. There's only one, and he's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reigns, and he reigns forevermore. I, I, I'm, I, mean, I, I know, I'm, I try to be nice and all that, but that just scalds me when I start to hear them calling him the Holy Father. He's not the Holy Father. The Pope didn't die for any of us. He didn't take the sins of the world upon him. The only one that did that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the only one that deserves the title that he is holy. He is holy. He's the only one that's holy. That's the reason why he's better than the angels. But then we also see I got a little stirred on that one. I don't know, but that ought to stir you. That ought to stir every one of us that we are, oh, I mean, it's a shame to what we're hearing out there and some of the things that are alluding to a God. God sometimes is looked at like he's some cosmic uh, uh, godfather out there. And sometimes we call, and here's another thing, just why I'm on, this is not on my notes, it's just got to get off my chest. But we also, one of the things that will just irritates me is when someone says, oh, I'll just talk to the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He's a holy God 
who's worthy of our praise. And he's the only one that took your old filthy sin and placed it upon his only begotten son. And his son was the one that died for your sins and died for my sin. And we ought to have a little more respect for him than calling him the man upstairs. What is wrong with us? Now, you just get all worked up. We ought to get worked up on this. Because when you start to erode the holiness of God, everything else unravels. He's holy. And He is to be exalted. And they said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're getting schizophrenic on us here, Brother Mike. You've been talking about the Son, now you're talking about the Father. Where we're also going to talk about the Spirit. But I want you to know they're all three in one. It's called the Godhead. I said, Brother Mike, I just don't quite understand that. Hey, jump in the boat with me. I don't understand it all either, but I just accept it by faith. And by the way, one day we will understand it by and by. So here, he says he's exalted. Now, as I started to look at that, we also started to realize some of the things about angels. We know that the Bible tells us to be careful about entertaining strangers because you may be entertaining an angel. So we understand that angels can take on bodily form, right? We also see that they have emotions. In Luke 15, chapter number 10, we see that they rejoice when one sinner comes to know Jesus. So they have emotions. We also know that they have names, Michael the archangel. When you see Michael, he's the warrior angel. When you see Gabriel, Gabriel's always bringing a message. And so they have names. We also understand uh, that they have a a range. They have an order, rank and file system, if you will. We also see that the main function of angels is to minister. Okay? Now, I find it interesting here as we look and say, and the writer of Hebrews is helping us to understand that they're better than the angels because the angels are the ones that will bow before him. You didn't catch that. Angels must bow before him. And they're not sitting on the throne. Only Jesus sits on the throne. Now, so here, you know, just start being logical here. How can you say that the angels are a little bit better because they're having to sit and they're bowing before? If you go into the book of Revelation, you'll see they bow before the long. When you see the throne room, you see that they're around the throne and they're worshiping. See, even the angels have to worship God. Now, we also understand that Angels were created before the foundations of the world. Uh, God made the angels. He made all the angels that he needed. Angels do not age. uh, They they do not die. And so we see that's the reason why the Bible says that Jesus was made a little lower is because he tasted death. They haven't tasted death. See, they're not qualified to taste death for us. Only Jesus is qualified to taste death for us. But then we also 
And here's another thing. And you're thinking, boy, he just got off the rest. I did take a nap this afternoon, and maybe I got off the rest. Uh, well, actually, I was on the couch. I wasn't on the bed, but I got off the wrong side of the couch, I guess. But here's another thing that kind of upsets me. It's when you usually hear it at a funeral. And, and, and of course, I understand they're distraught, they're grieving, they're sorrowful. I understand that. But I've heard numerous times where they said, well, I guess the Lord just needed another angel. No, he didn't. He didn't need another angel. He has all the angels that he needs. You're not going to be an angel. By the way, your children love our children, but they're not going to be angels. All right? If they're going to be angels, it'd be a demonic one, okay? (laughs) Just like some of you. But we're not going to be angels. Isn't it interesting how we, we, we throw things out there that we cannot uh, back it up with Scripture? But it kind of, for some reason, kind of makes us feel better about the situation. Uh, angels were created by God for His pleasure and for His bidding. You're, we're not going to be an angel. Matter of fact, angels cannot experience what you've experienced. See, they cannot experience salvation, but we can. But it isn't interesting here is that even though they have not experienced it, they still rejoice when somebody gets saved. Now, I started thinking about that, and I thought, okay, here's the angels. They cannot experience one of our uh, young ladies uh, told me that uh, uh, she had gotten saved and she got saved at camp. I might have told you the story. Uh, but she said that uh, after she got saved, she was, uh, had a little more confidence that she was going to be able to be a witness at her school because she says, uh, before I would try to tell somebody about coming to church or coming to know Jesus. But she says, you know, it's kind of hard to tell somebody uh, of an experience that you've never experienced. Angels have not and cannot express salvation, but they can rejoice. If the angels can rejoice of them not understanding the experience, how much more should we rejoice who've experienced? Are, are you are getting this? Sometimes our worship is kind of lackadaisical, if you will, and it's because we've gotten our minds off of, and we're focused on something else. When you start to realize when somebody comes down and tells you that they just got saved, this place ought to bust wide open with rejoicing and, and, and shouting praises to God because we have experienced the same thing they're experiencing. Could it be that we have had it for so long we kind of take what we have for granted? The angels can rejoice. But also we see that he was exalted. But I want you to look at verse number 6. You thought I'd never get there, did you? Listen to what it says in verse number 6. And he says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten. Now, that's a very interesting word here. We're fixing to entertain it here. He says, in the beginning, uh, uh, that he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saideth, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now, that word, the first begotten, 
Some think it deals with time. Does not deal with time. It deals with honor. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. He's talking about that we should exalt Him. And in verse number 6, we need to worship Him because we, when we worship, we're showing honor unto Him because He's the first begotten. Now, sometimes people have misinterpreted that word first begotten. They're thinking, well, you know, first. That means firstborn. Now, Scripture also talks about him being the firstborn of, uh, firstborn of the fruits. And, and uh, I believe it's the Jehovah Witnesses that have taken that totally out of context and, and uh, read a, a different translation because they believe that uh, Jesus was created. He was not created. Okay, here's what we need to learn. Even before there was a beginning, he was there. And if you go that, he was, he was the beginning of the beginning. And if you can go further back, he was there too. He's always been, he always will be. And so when he create, only the Lord Jesus can create. So he's not the firstborn in the sense that he was, uh, that he was uh, born just like we were. He came by a miracle. That's the reason why it's very important for us. If your Bible has a translation where it talks about the virgin birth and they have substituted that word, you probably need to get rid of that translation. Because it radically changes the holiness of Christ. He was not a born of a young maiden. He was born of a virgin. And that's the only reason why he is qualified because he did not come by the way we came because if he came by the way we came, then he would have sin. He knew no sin. He didn't even have the capacity to sin. He is holy. And what has happened in too many of our churches is that we've gotten away from the holiness of God. When we come into church, we come in with everything else on our minds. When we're going through our little issues and our pettiness and all of that, we're taking our focus off the holiness of God. The Bible says that we should have the fear of the Lord. That word fear is not we ought to cower down and jump under the pew that he's going to strike me down, but it means to be in awe. When you come to worship, are you in awe? Are you in awe that you have the wonderful privilege to come into his house and to worship him, the creator of the universe? We ought to be in awe when we come into his presence. The reason why we're not in awe is because we've lost sight of his holiness. And so here we see that he's the only one. That question was raised, who else has called him son? And of course, in Psalms chapter 2, verse number 7, it says that he's the only one that's been called son. And so then he goes in verse number 7. Y'all still with me? In verse number 7 it says, And of the angels he saideth, Who maketh his angels spirits, 
and his ministers a flame of fire. So here we've already alluded to that Jesus created angels. They were created before the foundation of the world. And so here's the question. Why would you think an angel was superior over Jesus when Jesus is the one that made him? Now, here again, this is not my notes, but I'm just going to head since I'm venting tonight. When I was in uh, NAE and AA, when I was doing drug and alcohol counseling, had the 12-step program. Now, if you've been involved in a 12-step program, I'm not uh, discounting that program because uh, if you go back to the original intent of that program, it was biblically based. Matter of fact, if you go through the 12 steps, all 12 steps you can find in the scriptures where it talks about making amends and all of that. But what has happened, just like everything else man gets a hold of, he messed it up. And now I would go to some of these meetings. The reason why I was having to go to these meetings is because I had clients and I just wanted to see what they were being exposed to. And a lot of times after I had my next session with them, I would tell them they do not need to go to that group no more. And here's the reason why. They would talk about a higher power. And they would say things just... Just, I'm just going to say it like it is. And children, I know this is not the word you're supposed to use, but please forgive me. But they would just say stupid things like this. If this group is your higher power, so be it. And I thought for a minute, how insane is that? Because everybody that was in that group was there because they had issues. Why would you put your hopes in a group of people that already had issues? Does that make any sense to y'all? I even had them say, if that doorknob, if that door, if you want to use a doorknob as your higher power, so be it. And I thought, well, that is stupid beyond stupid. Because you have control over that doorknob. How are you going to get any higher power? How are you going to get any help to help you with your addiction problem when you already have control of something that you're saying that you're higher power? I'm telling you, no wonder the, the, the world is so messed up. And so here, when you bring it into context within the church, sometimes if we're not careful, and here again, we're going to go back and say things that make absolutely no sense. And what it helps us to understand is we're starting to erode the holiness of God. When you start saying things like your higher power is a group of people or a doorknob or whatever the case may be, or they would even say, you just work these 12 steps. That'll be your higher power. What I'm telling you, what they've lost sight of, and what I would tell my clients, don't go to that group again, is because what I'm trying to tell them is you can do all of that and you may stay clean and sober, but you're still lost and dying and going to hell. You're just going to hell sober. Do you see where we're coming with this? And some of this mess is crept into the church. Now, I have nothing against support groups and I think in, in the way of contact, but here's what I've learned to understand, and I don't need to be harsh on that, but the greatest support group that I have is you. The greatest support group that you have is this body of 
Because we have something in common. Every one of us had an issue called sin. And every one of us has been, who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and every one of us came the same way by grace through His wonderful, marvelous mercy and His love. And we all got saved the same way by coming to know Jesus Christ in a personal way and to make Him uh, have an intimate relationship with us. And so now that He's living in us, uh, that uh, we now have something far greater in us than it's in the world. And that's what we need to understand that we all have this in common. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. He's changed my life and he has helped me with whatever the case may be. And that's where we get our support. It was to come as a body of believers. We come to edify and to encourage one another because when you go out these doors, there's nobody out there waiting for you to encourage you. It's sort of like you get a knock on the door and they'll say, Hello, we're with the IRS. We've come to help you. (laughs) Right? Yeah, they'll help you all right. Jesus Christ meets every one of our needs. And He is holy. The Bible goes on and says that He is holy and as He is holy, we should be holy as well. Now, here's what's happened. We've watered down holiness so much that we really don't see a difference. There's not a clear distinction between those who know Christ and who doesn't know Christ. We really has. We've allowed the world to creep in and start changing the holiness of God. Because you see, when you start to change the holiness of God, it makes your sin a little more likable. See, when you stand before a holy God and He says, sin, sin. But when you stand there and say, well, you know what? I'll give you a pass on this one. Oh, oh, by the way, that's not quite as bad as the one that uh, Jim over here did. So you're, you're not, that's exactly what we do. We're looking around and we're looking to to set our standards by somebody else. And you know what? We'll always find someone who's a little worse off than we are, right? But our standard is not one another. Our standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last time I checked, every one of us falling short of that one. And so here he goes and he says he's more better because he was exalted as son. He's the only one that has the right to be called son. But we also see that he's the only one that is worthy of our worship. Our worship is to honor him. But notice here that we understand he's more better than the angels because he's created everything. He's created everything. Now we're picking up in verse number 9. And he says, and thou hast loved righteousness. Who's loved righteousness? Well, the Lord Jesus loves righteousness. Okay? That means being right with God, right? I mean, simple definition, being right with God. He said, thou hast loved righteousness and has hated iniquity. Whoa. Did you hear that word? He hates sin. Doesn't hate the sinner. Hate sin. See, when you start to erode the holiness of God, 
then you don't like to use words like, well, he really hates what I did today. Because nobody wants to hear that said about them, right? I'll be honest, and and this is probably a little comical, but um, my grandson, Ezekiel, he uh, and uh, we have Ezra and we have Elijah. I've been trying to talk to my kids and saying, you know, we need some more prophets in the family. But uh, they're saying, no, don't think so, Dad. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Ezekiel and uh, Ezra, and we take Elijah to, uh, to school in the mornings. Well, we got all three of them in there a lot of times. And we're going down the highway. And uh, I'm being silly and goofy and all that. And so we'll start hearing some songs. It's got a little bit of a beat to it. And I'll crank that thing up. And I'll start singing. Rebecca uh, has to take Valium before she gets in the car with me. And so I'm, but my, my grandkids love it. And of course, Rebecca says it's because they're too young to realize how bad you sing. But you know, so I'm singing, man, I'm just really, I mean, we're just rocking it. I'm dancing, I'm carrying on all this kind of stuff like that. The other day she started to sing and Ezekiel looked at her and said, no, 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 Papa sing. (laughs) Now I want you to know, I went ahead and changed my life insurance policies and everything. (laughs) They're getting everything. Kids ain't getting nothing. (laughs) And you say, well, that's silly. Hey, we like, even though we know they're good, we, we like to hear words like that, don't we? We like to hear, Papa, Papa. We like to hear, I love you. But here, the Lord says he hates our sin. Oh, I don't like to hear negative things, do you? See, when you start to erode the holiness of Jesus, you start to say things like, it's not as bad as he's making out to be. According to the scripture, he hates it. He hates it. But then he goes on and says, uh, uh, he hates it. Uh, And and then he goes on and and he talks about, uh, uh, for God, even thy God, have anointed thee, well, if I can get it, anointed thee with the Lord in the beginning. He has laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of thy hands. See, what he's trying to help us to understand is Jesus is better than the angels because he's the only one can be exalted as son. He's the only one that can be worshipped as a holy, righteous, loving Lord. And he's the only one that can create. He's created it all. There's some believe that they don't have problems with. But no, notice what they're doing. See, they're already questioning themselves when they say things like, they won't just come out and say, God didn't do it. They'll say things. They'll start to substitute other words. 
intelligent being. Intelligence is now what they're referring to as God. They'll go ahead and say some other things and they'll say, well, here's what really happened. And oh, there some molecule kind of got together, you know, and they kind of bumped into one another and then it kind of had an explosion and bam, here we are. Well, the question I have for them is, how did the uh, molecules and atoms get there in the first place? Then let's go ahead a little further and it says, well, there was matter. Okay, who made the matter? See, they, 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 they talk in circles. And, and they don't want to just come flat out and say, there must be a God. Because if it says that, it erodes everything else about them. Everything else falls. My dear friend, I know I'm preaching to the church tonight. But sometimes we lose sight of this as well. Now, we might not say there's not a God, and, but we go ahead and act like there is no God. It's called practical atheism. See, you say you don't, you believe in God, but yet you're running your life as if there was no God. Many of our churches today are not operating that there is a holy God and God orchestrates it all. Because we've gotten so sophisticated and we've gotten so slick in our marketing skills that basically church is now just a business to get people. I'm just telling you the facts. I'm not naming names, not doing any of that, but I'm telling you that's what it's become. And I'm sure glad that I'm a part of a family here at Hillcrest that still believes there's a holy God. I'm sure glad I'm a part of the family here at Hillcrest that believe He's in charge. I'm grateful to me that my children and my grandchildren are going to be raised up to where they're going to understand there's a holy God and there's going to be judgment and that sin is always hated by God. I'm glad that we have a church where our teachers will say that in order for you to come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, there must be confession, there must be repentance. I'm glad I'm still a part of a church that still believes there must be repentance. But sometimes we drift away as well. And it's time for us to start looking around and see how far we have drifted. But aren't you glad we have a loving Lord who's waiting there at the shoreline. He's been watching us drift away. But He's there at the shoreline saying, you can roll back and I'll be here to receive you.